Ted Bohorquez here with News Talk KZRG. Welcome to this week's episode of Plot Summary. This is where I take everything more or less that we discussed on the morning news watch at News Talk KZRG, and I give it to you in a nice little plot summary. We're going to start this week off with Hunter Biden. Um, He got in a little bit of trouble, and I cannot stress the phrase little bit of trouble enough. Hunter Biden pleaded guilty to two misdemeanor counts of willful failure to pay federal income tax, both in 2017 and 2018. And he is also facing a separate felony gun possession charge. And essentially a little bit of background on the tax side of this is essentially Hunter Biden lied about his income and did not pay federal taxes. And this isn't a, you know, $600 Venmo transaction sort of situation. This is, you know, tens of hundreds of thousands of dollars, you know, tens of thousands of dollars that he's not paying his taxes on that he owes. And he got busted cold, busted cold, not paying his taxes on a federal level. And he just kind of pled guilty and essentially got a slap on the wrist. And by that, I mean, he got probation and that was it. He's not going to get any jail time. He had to pay the taxes, the back taxes, and he got probation. Keep in mind, I would like to point out that Martha Stewart famously ran a very similar racket, and she did go to jail. So why is Hunter Biden not going to jail? Who knows? On the gun possession charge, what had happened there is essentially he's not allowed to own a firearm because he has a history of drug use and abuse. And when he was filing out, when he was filing paperwork to purchase a firearm, he lied on the form. He said, nope, I have no history of drug use. He said, drugs? What, what, what are those? What are drugs? I've never even heard of drugs. I mean, come on. Do I look like I do drugs? What is that, like a new band? Like a Fortnite dance? A TikTok, TikTok bit? What, what are drugs? As that's, that was pretty much what he said on the form. And if he had answered that question, do you have a history of drug use, honestly and correctly, then he would not have been able to purchase a firearm where he was trying to purchase a firearm. But he lied on the form, and so he got the gun. Well, last I checked, that is a pretty serious deal. Last I checked, you are really not supposed to lie on your gun applications. That's a whole-blown mess. That's a real problem, my man. And nobody really seemed to care that he lied and, and had a firearm when he wasn't supposed to. Now, obviously, this got a lot of uh, Republicans and GOP lawmakers up in a bit of a ruffle. And they were saying, look, the Democrats are the party of gun control, more gun control, more background checks. And here this guy is blatantly ignoring that. And the left, the very party that is supposed to be really pro that suddenly doesn't really care that you can just lie on your gun application form and just get a firearm when you're not supposed to have one. You just like, nah, I'm good. That's fine. GOP members were really not happy about the whole situation. Democrats are arguing that the fact that Hunter Biden was charged at all means that the justice system is fair. They indicted Trump twice. They give they gave Hunter a misdemeanor charge for federal tax evasion and 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 illegally acquiring a firearm. They equate those two things as the same, whereas GOP members say that's not the same at all. This is incredibly unfair. And Republicans essentially argued that this is perfect evidence of what they call a two-tiered justice system. Rules are different for Republicans as they are for Democrats. That is what they posit. That is their argument. And ironically enough, this is where we're seeing kind of an interesting melting pot of ideas between Democrats and Republicans on a political and lawmaking level. 
Democrats are pretty famously the party of defund the police, and Republicans are kind of famously the more money goes to law enforcement. Well, when it came to this issue, it kind of flipped a little bit this week. Several GOP lawmakers were calling to defund the criminal justice system, defund the FBI, defund the DOJ, because they're saying that it's broken and has become a political arm. Kind of interesting. Meanwhile, the Democrats are saying, no, wait a second, we need more funding for these administrative bodies. Very interesting. No matter where you sit on the spectrum, either which way, I think it's a very, very interesting time. Um, So that's pretty much what happened with Hunter Biden. It honestly was kind of lackluster. The man pleaded guilty to tax evasion and to felony possession of a firearm, which, by the way, he ended up getting rid of that gun by quite literally throwing it in a public trash can. Does not seem safe to me. Um, And he's getting misdemeanor charges and will likely not face any jail time. Pretty wild. The other really big story that got a lot of coverage this last week was that missing submersible from Ocean Gate. And I'm sure you might have caught a little bit of it, but just to give you a nice little plot summary, uh, see what I did there? Here's essentially the story more or less from start to finish. There's a company called Ocean Gate. And OceanGate offers a series of things, most famously, now, their tour of the Titanic. That's right. We know where the Titanic is. It's, you know, sunk, and it's in the exact same spot it was when it landed in 1912. This commercial company called OceanGate designed submarines or submersibles to dive the nearly 13,000 feet below the surface and check out the place, you know, check out the wreck. Which is, admittedly, I think, pretty darn cool. But, of course, this is not for your average Joe. Uh, Tickets range from, like, $200,000 to $250,000, something crazy like that. And why does it cost that much? Well, because it's a very high-risk venture. 13,000 feet is extremely deep. To put that in perspective for you, the sunlight only reaches about 3,000 feet below the surface of the ocean. 3,000 feet. So you're going 10,000 feet in extreme darkness, in pitch black. Light is like the most powerful thing that we know exists in the universe, and it cannot penetrate that deep in the water. That's how deep down it is. And one of the reasons why this is such a dangerous venture is because of water pressure. That's a lot of pressure. 13,000 feet is a lot of pressure to be put on a machine. Additionally, because there's no sunlight, it's also extremely cold down there. That's something a lot of people don't realize about great ocean depths is that it is nearly freezing temperatures we're talking like 35 degrees because there's no sunlight there's nothing there to warm up the water it's like it's like swimming in snow basically so those are the two really crazy aspects of it that allow it to be such a dangerous venture well ocean gate has been offering these tours for years and years now and numerous times has ocean gate been warned about possible failures for their submersibles number one If you haven't seen the submersible itself, it just looks like a big hot dog with like a a classic submarine glass window in the front, right? People have warned that that glass window, the tempered glass that is used for that window, is not graded to go 13,000 feet below the surface. Not even close. So they were already using material that could not withstand 13,000 feet worth of pressure. Number two, they were using and reusing the same submersibles over and over and over. So there was concern about where, right? Even if the submersible 
has material that can't go 13,000 feet, and it does go 13,000 feet once, that doesn't mean it can do it twice or three times or four times because there's wear on it. So maybe that glass got down there, but maybe it cracked a little bit. And then by the fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth trip, it cracked a little bit more. And by the ninth, tenth, eleventh trip, even more. So there was issues with the structural integrity of it. A couple of other issues with it that got a lot of attention was the fact that they remote controlled this submersible internally, mind you, with literally a video game controller. <laughs> like a video game controller from like 2008 was what they used to control this thing. Which, aside from the fact that people died, is kind of funny, I think. So those were some of the issues that people were, were commenting on. And essentially, what this came down to, people argued, is that OceanGate, the company, was essentially cutting corners because they wanted to maximize their profits. Which company hasn't wanted to maximize its profits? That's what America's all about, baby. There's nothing wrong with that. But when you're going 13,000 feet below water... If you're going to a place where the sunlight literally cannot reach and you as a human being are trying to travel there, ah, maybe don't cut corners. Maybe that's one that you want to be pretty stingy about making sure you're passing safety standards and building with proper material. Just a possibility there. So there's the background on the uh, there's a brief background on the company as well as the vessel itself. Now, there were five people on this submersible. The submersible went for a dive on Sunday. And it was supposed to be about a two to three hour trip. You dive down, check it out for a little bit, come back up. There were five people on it. Number one, the actual CEO of the company, OceanGate. Little ironic. Number two, a British billionaire, which is wild. Three, a Pakistani businessman, along with his 19-year-old son. So there's three and four. And finally, the fifth one, a French explorer. That's who was in the vessel. So all these guys, they got into this little vessel. They got onto a boat. The boat oared out or whatever to right above the wreck of the Titanic. And then they got into this little submersible, and then they let the submersible off the boat, off the ship, and it dove down underwater. So they were in communication with this mothership, so to speak, that was on the surface. Well, at some point during their dive, the mothership lost connection with them under, underneath. They, they had no connection. They, they, they didn't know where they were. They couldn't communicate. So, of course... Well, what happened to them? Who knows? Nobody knew what happened to them. So they call the Coast Guard, and the Coast Guard says, hey, look, man, sound travels extremely well in water. And we have these buoys that monitor sound all over the ocean, including around the wreck of the Titanic, and we didn't hear any noise. We didn't hear any explosion. So we have reason to believe that they might still be alive. And what the theory was for a few days was that there was an electrical malfunction, which made it so that they could no longer control the submersible or use the radio for communication in any way. So then the Coast Guard and actually a series of other countries, a lot of people got involved in this search. They said, OK, well, we think they're still down there. We got to save them because they have about 96 hours worth of oxygen. So that gives us about a three day window to locate these guys. So thus, the, the search started. We're talking full sonar scans. We're talking boats going out. We're talking underwater rovers going out. We're talking other little submersibles. Going Everyone was searching for these guys. In fact, the search got so expansive in terms of square miles, it covered more space than the state of Nebraska. That's how big square miles wise this search got because they didn't know where these guys were. They were looking and they really put in the, the legwork here to find these guys. And then on Tuesday, and just when people thought that eh, they're probably dead, Something happens. Suddenly, the Coast Guard starts hearing banging noises coming from underwater. Like I said earlier, sound travels exceptionally well underwater. 
And so while they could hear the banging noises very clearly, they didn't know where the banging noises were coming from because it was traveling all over the place. It was bouncing off reefs. It was bouncing off all over. So that reignited a little bit of hope from both those searching for these individuals, the families of these individuals, and the world who was watching this search. They might be alive down there, and they're running out of oxygen. So the search double-timed for the next day or so. It double-timed, and they were searching the area, the rough area that they think they heard the banging noises coming from. Now, the, the Navy and the Coast Guard and everyone, they were very adamant to say, look, yes, it is exciting that there are banging noises. That might mean that's them banging on the side of the wall of the submersible. But we do not know it's them. So we need to keep that in mind. And to their credit, they were very honest and upfront about that fact. Then Thursday rolls around. And Thursday was an important day because that was the day that they were going to run out of oxygen. And additionally, by Thursday, there was a major concern of hypothermia. Going with the initial theory that that there was an electrical issue and they were out of power down there, that would mean not only were they in complete darkness, not only were they running out of oxygen, but also there was nothing heating them up. And like I said before, it's so deep the sun doesn't reach. There's nothing heating up that water. It is nearly freezing water that they were just kind of sitting in. So there was a major serious concern regarding hypothermia. And when, when Thursday rolled around, that's when that concern was really catching up. That's pretty much what was happening. The world was watching as they were just kind of roaming around looking for these guys. And ultimately, while they haven't found their bodies, while they haven't yet found, as of today, the complete wreckage, finally, one of the rovers searching for them did locate the landing gear of the submersible as well as the tail end of the submersible in separate places on the ocean floor about 1,600 feet away from the wreck of the Titanic. And while they're still looking for the other components, the fact that those things are off the, off the machine, off the submersible, it's pretty much game over. If that back flap of the submersible is gone, what's keeping the water out? <laughs> Nothing. So more or less it was determined that the day, possibly the moment they lost signal with their mothership on Sunday, is likely the moment that some portion of that submersible failed, which triggered a critical implosion. Not explosion, but implosion. There's a lot of water pressure, like, trying to crush. Imagine, like, crushing a can. That's an implosion. It goes, it just gets schmucked up into each other, into itself. And that's probably what happened. And a a lot of experts are saying, at that depth, granted, they don't know exactly what depth they were at when this implosion happened, but... They can't, could they have a pretty good guess? And at around that depth, it probably would have been an instant death for all on board, which I suppose gives some semblance of perhaps peace of mind to the families. Frankly, if it was me, I would choose that over starving, freezing, and suffocating to death while in a tiny little machine with five other people. Yeah, there was a lot, a lot, a lot of outrage at that company this last week. But if you think that's all, it's not. Because then, what's this? Out of nowhere, the U.S. Navy comes into play. And they said, oh, you found portions of the wreckage heavily implying that it did implode? Oh, well, probably could have told you this sooner, but we have a super secret network of buoys and sonars that detect sound at a super high quality level So that way we can track enemy submarines and missiles and everything. 
And on pretty much the very day and minute that your submersible lost contact, yeah, we heard a noise that sounded a lot like an implosion. And people went, uh, that would have been helpful to know sooner. (laughs) Now, to the Navy's credit, the second the search started, the Navy did inform the Coast Guard that they did hear that noise. They go, look, I'm not saying it was them. All I'm saying is we definitely heard something that was likely an implosion, but we cannot confirm for sure that's what it was. But that's probably what it was. And people got mad at the Navy and the Coast Guard. And they said, well, how come you didn't tell the public this information? Why, like, why, why did you keep this, not secret, but you just chose not to talk about it? And the Coast Guard, I think, had a decent point. Where the Coast Guard said, yes, said, look, yes, we did have the information that they heard something that might have been an implosion. But what if it wasn't? The Coast Guard goes, spoiler alert, there's a lot of noises that come from the ocean. And what if we got that noise and it was not an implosion and then we just stopped searching? What if they were down there alive, freezing to death, suffocating, starving? And we just said, well, we don't need to look for them. They're dead. What if that's what happened? And then what? A week later, we find it in perfect, in, intact and they're frozen corpses. That would have been real bad. So the Coast Guard said, yes, we did know it was, you know, there was an implosion noise, but we had to confirm, right? So to me, that seems fair as fair. Yeah, that's pretty much the saga for you. They went down to check out the wreck of the Titanic. A billionaire, a millionaire, a Frenchman, and a kid all went down to look at the Titanic. And um, unfortunately, at some point in their travels, they imploded. And portions of their wreck sits just 1,600 feet away from the wreck of the Titanic. Very sad. But that's enough about um, death and the submersible that uh, was absolutely took over headlines for an entire week. Moving on to something a little bit more lighthearted and fun, the trans community. How lighthearted and fun is that? Well, it came out this week that from New Hampshire to California and everywhere in between... There are overnight summer camps for transgender children as young as four years old. And they're popping up all over the United States. Seems to me, frankly, like a business more than trying to help kids in any way. Now, the crazy thing is, is that these camps are operating from secret locations, non-disclosed. They argued it was for the protection of the children. Um, Personally, what I hear is that a bunch of... Adults are taking kids to a secret location in the woods and, um, you know, hanging out with them, which (laughs) stranger danger. Just saying now sort of the the shtick with these camps is it is a place where counselors can reinforce campers gender identity and they do fun summer camp things like, you know, playing dodgeball, arts and crafts, voice training to change their voice to the gender to make it sound like the gender they want makeup sessions, um, as well as other trans-centered activities, how to sit, how to how to hold your hands, things like that. Which, to me, I don't really understand, because I was informed that genders are equal, that there's no difference in genders. So I don't know why you need to change your voice to sound different if the genders are the same. That doesn't make sense to me. But it makes sense to them. So they're doing vocal lessons, voice training, excuse me. They're not learning to sing. It's voice training. And makeup sessions, <laughs> which uh, just from the standpoint of like a parent, 
Uh, why are you paying to send your kid to a summer camp to do makeup lessons? Like, biological girls at some point learn makeup without going to a summer camp. Go, go on YouTube. You know, you teach your kid. What are you doing, send, like, spending all the money to send them to summer camp? Doesn't make sense to me. But they, that's what's going on. Again, business, 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 business is booming between Big Pharma and the financial cost that is required of these families to transition children and adults, of course, as well, as well as the financial cost of sending their kids to this nice, luxurious transgender children camp in the woods. One such camp that we discussed this week on the Morning News Watch at News Talk KZRG, Camp Camp Lilac. It's in an undisclosed location in somewhere in central Ohio. Mm. <laughs> I mean, really? An undisclosed location in central Ohio. Uh, you find it. Yeah. <laughs> Good luck finding your kids. We're taking them somewhere to Ohio. Don't worry about it. Don't ask questions. Well, at Camp Lilac, more than 100 kids. And here, it's not as young as four. It's as young as 12, so good for them. They're not taking literal toddlers, if you want to give them any credit. Uh, Kids as young as 12 are free to, quote, socialize, grow, and express themselves in an environment without caregiver supervision. Without caregiver supervision. Your parents and caregiver is not allowed to be there. And then on their website, and that's that's on their website, by the way, and then they specify by caregiver, they're referring to parents or guardians. Now, they did also say that parents and guardians may volunteer at the camp, so they are allowed to go with their kid. However, they are strictly not allowed to attend sessions with their own children. So they can, you know, volunteer and attend sessions with other people's kids, but they're they're not allowed to hang out with their own kid. They're going to these voice training classes and makeup sessions and and etiquette, sitting etiquette lessons, and they're not allowed to be with their kid. So, yeah, I guess that's uh, cool, he said sarcastically. So, yeah, trans camps, they're popping up, um, free to express yourself and free to spend money how you want to spend money, I guess. Speaking of spending money the way you want to spend money, and also speaking of the trans community, we talked a little bit this week on the Morning News Watch at News Talk KZRG about the money side of transitioning. Well, as it turns out, to no one's surprise, transitioning is an extremely lucrative business for Big Pharma. The market for these procedures, these transitioning procedures... Um, is now valued at nearly $2 billion a year. $2 billion a year in transitioning costs. This is a brand new business. That is crazy. Like, what else is a $2 billion a year industry? You know, like what? Computer iPhones? You know, it's it's like a service. This is a service. This is $2 billion a year annually. And that's just that's just like right now. That very same study projected that by the end of the decade, it could be as much as a $10 billion industry. By 2030, this could be a $10 billion, with the B, dollar industry, if it continues to ramp up at the same pace it currently is. Now, who's to say it will? Who's to say it won't? But if that's the case, guess what, Buster Brown, $10 billion. You think Big Pharma's just going to let that go? I don't think so. Now, according to Big Pharma's reporting, there were about 11,000 sex reassignment surgeries performed in 2019 alone. 11,000 in 2019. And if it continues to grow at the pace that it is, by 2030, 
Some people think that could be in the tens of thousands. And what's really scary to me is there was a video that was recorded and, re- and put on the website at, um, of Boston Children's Hospital. That video, by the way, has now been taken down. And in that video, one administrator was saying these surgeries create patients for life. They create patients for life because these aren't normal surgeries in the sense of like, oh, you got a broken arm or, oh, you accidentally swallowed a quarter. Let's open you up and get you stitched up and fixed up and send you on your way. No, when you transition, it's it's not just a surgery. It's you're taking hormones. You're taking antibiotics because when not to get into the gritty details, but when they do the surgery, it is an external sur- surgery as well. Because let's say you're born a guy and you would like to transition into a girl. Well, your parts, that's an external thing. And it's scientifically, this is scientifically here, a wound. It is, it is scientifically an open wound, so to speak. Because your skin can't close itself up and heal. Because you don't want it to close itself up and heal. You want it to be the way that it is. You want that look, the woman look down there. And so you have to take medicine to scave off infections, to scave off injuries. And that's not something that, you know, you pop your pill when you got a headache or something. That is a strict daily regimen of medicine, again, along with the hormones. That's a lot. That's a for life income for big pharma. They're not going to be giving that up anytime soon. I don't know why they would. Frankly, I know if I was big pharma, I wouldn't because every single patient that comes into my office, that's another boat. That's another house, college for my kids. Oh, you know what? Oh, you're coming into transition. Guess I'm taking my family to Europe this summer. You know, that type of thing. And by the way, this is like a two spectrum thing, I think, because let's say you're really pro uh, the trans community and, and you're really pro specifically transitioning. That's great and fine. But I I think you owe it to yourself to at least consider the financial side of it, and especially when it comes to big pharma. I don't like my whole thing. This my whole thing is not even about the trans community to me. It's about big pharma, man. They are bleeding this country dry. They cost this country so much money because they can charge whatever they want. And by the way, they do charge whatever they want because they're big stinking pharma, man. They're here to make money and take names, and that's what they do. So, I I mean, again, if you're pro-transition surgery, more power to you. Look into the financial side. It's worth worth it. Moving on from there to uh, a little bit more foreign side of things, Ukraine. It came out this week that Russian weapons companies are now supplying soldiers in in, uh, Russian soldiers with U.S.-made ammunition. (laughs) And they're using that ammunition... Uh, in the war against Ukraine. So I suppose we've now gotten to a point where we are quite literally supplying both sides of this war. Uh, to what end? <laughs> so what? They they kill each other and then there, there's no one left in that portion of the planet? What's what's the end goal here? That's, that's ridiculous. And basically the way that this happened is despite a, a series of sanctions that were designed to cut Moscow and Russia off from Western supply chains, documents showed that at least three imports occurred after Russia invaded Ukraine, which, as many point out, simply highlight how difficult it is to enforce sanctions as well as export controls when it comes to supplying Russia with U.S. weapons, technologies, and supplies. Two Russian firms said 
hey, man, we're going to buy up some ammo, man, but we're not using it for the war. We're using it for hunting. And hunting's okay, isn't it? And these U.S. companies said, yeah, hunting's fine. There's no embargo against you for hunting. There's no sanctions against hunting. We just can't send you war material. We can send you hunting material. So they just sent them a bunch of sniper ammo to to hunt with. Uh, duh. You don't think they're going to use that to hunt humans instead of deer or bears? I don't know what the heck they hunt in Russia. In fact, companies in Russia had announced that they will be buying more than 100,000 lead bullets to fill, quote, hunting cartridges to use for, quote, civilian weapons with a rifled barrel. Yeah, what do you think they're hunting, numbnuts? I mean, seriously, use your brain on that one. And the reason why this story was big is because it really does simply highlight the fact that nobody knows what's going on there. When the U.S. government says... We're sending them more money, and we know what it's for. They don't. They don't even know what ammo is being sent where for what. I mean, really? A Russian company bought sniper ammo, and and we sent it to them because they said we're using it for bears and not people? What, what are we just taking their word for it? <laughs> I mean, that is ridiculous. So what are we going to do next? Send another $6 billion in that direction for the war, the same way the Russians use those bullets for hunting? Yeah, it's just so silly. Other than that, the Ukraine war is going real strong with a lot of deaths. In fact, they kind of stopped keeping track in terms of daily updates. If you remember at the beginning of the war, we were getting daily and weekly updates on death tolls. Ah, that's not happening anymore now, is it? No. It's not. And finally, on the foreign side, uh, the last big thing we talked about this week in the Morning News Watch at News Talk KZRG was the China visit. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken, who does anything but blink, ironically, went to China. And he went there to really show them who's boss, show them what's up. Not so much. Anthony Blinken said one of his foremost goals was to open up a line of military-to-military direct communication in times of crisis. That is how he defined it. And essentially what he was looking for is he wants our military generals to be able to speak directly to their military generals. So that way, if another Chinese weather balloon, quote-unquote, accidentally, quote-unquote, flies over all of our major U.S. bases on U.S. soil, in case that accidentally happens again, our military can communicate directly with their military instead of speculating. This as they attempt to ease down some of the scary rhetoric You know, look, at the end of the day, no matter how you feel about China, war is not a fun time. I think history will show you that. And if you're part of the older generation that kind of lived through Vietnam and that fear, kind of lived through the Red Scare and that fear, lived through the Cuban Missile Crisis and that scare, it's not a fun time. It does seem like it is a responsible thing to do to say, hey, let's both cool our jets here. A classic, you remove uh, your missiles, we'll remove ours, you know, sort of a little tit for tat. That seems like a reasonable thing to do. And that was his goal. Well, frankly and plainly, he failed to do that. China said no. China said we're not going to do that because we are not scared of you. So leave, little man. And that's what Blinken did. He just left. Although, actually, that's not entirely true. I take that back. He didn't just leave. He did do one more thing before he left, and that is he went out of his way 
to say that the United States does not support Taiwanese independence. So, <laughs> so right before he left, he, he said that. So that's always good. You know, he got something done. He, he did, and the, what he got done was tell China, it's all yours, my man. Go for it. Eat up, boss. Strong leadership there. So, yeah, that's pretty much everything we discussed on the Morning News Watch at News Talk KZRG. Remember, you can always tune in on our Facebook Live. Steve got a new pineapple this week, so that's been pretty exciting. We are also, and I know Peter doesn't listen to this, so get tuned for this. Me and Steve also have a series of pranks that we're planning for Peter next week, so definitely tune in for that. It's going to be very funny for us anyway. I don't know if you'll like it. And don't forget, if you ever miss anything, you can always catch it right here on Plot Summary with News Talk KZRG.